This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I am also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and head instructor at Silfits on Beetle Mind Academy. Today's show is brought to you by Synergy Float Center, a premier flotation therapy center located in Old Town Alexandria. When you take time to slow down, amazing things can happen. Take care of yourself by booking a float, sauna, or one of the other many services. You can book online at SynergyFloatCenter.com. Our guest today is J.C. Glick. Welcome back, J.C. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Um, let me just do a short little bio, and people should remember you because we've, we've talked before. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired, J.C. Glick, is currently a partner with MVP Development Group and a partner emeritus with Kennings Associates after transitioning from the Army of 20 years of service. His last assignment was Director of Victory College at Fort Jackson, leading the Army's Leadership Development School, Resilience School, and the military's only physical fitness school. Prior to being selected to oversee targeting and future operations for the AWG, an Army Special Missions Unit, Lieutenant Colonel Glick served as a team member, team leader, squadron operations officer, and troop commander in the AWG. Throughout his time with the unit, he had multiple deployments in support of operations in Afghanistan, Iraq, and other areas to include the Pacific and the African commands. JC is also the co-author of a book, A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown, and of course, Meditations of an Army Ranger, a Warrior Philosophy for Everyone, which is what we will be talking about today. Congratulations on your new book, JC. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun to write. It's uh, much needed, and we'll talk about why it's needed in our culture and our country today. You know, you start your book uh, by saying, what's, why philosophy? Why is philosophy necessary? And you, in your book, you have four different books as part of your book, and I will kind of do a, a little bit of a dive into each of the books. But before, why don't we actually answer that question? Why is philosophy so important, especially today in America? You know, um, I don't know that that chapter would have been possible without uh, my co-author, uh, Dr. Alice Adelana. She, uh, she was really the one that kind of focused us in on that and said, look, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of books out there by Army Rangers and Navy SEALs and Green Berets. And, you know, this isn't that kind of book. So why are they reading this kind of book from, from you and from us? And when, you know, and she is a, a, just a talent when it comes to the ancients. Um, that's her PhD is in that. Nice. And um, when you look at the, at, at the, the Socrates, the, the Plato's, the uh, Marcus Aurelius, what you find is uh, they were warriors. They, they experienced a part of life that very few people actually experience, and that's, and that's combat. That's, that's true armed conflict. Um, which gives you a very different perspective on the world around you. You see things differently. And it's just, it, it may be as simple as you have an, a, a different appreciation for a beer and pizza, um, or it may be a very uh, clear understanding of the reality of death. Um, and, you know, we've, we seem to have lost that a lot in our society. And, and we can sit there and say, you know, it's not a negative thing that society doesn't have that across the board. It means that most of society 
has not had to go to war. That's nice. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing in our nation. Um, and what that has, what that's led to though, is, is a little bit of protectionism by parents. You know, um, some people call them helicopter parents. Some people call them snowball parents. I call them bubble wrap parents. You know, they want to wrap their kids in bubble wrap and make sure they don't. Um, but it, 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 it's created a, 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 a vacuum of education um, in, in our youth and now actually in our teachers where they don't understand how kind of that perspective can help uh, develop a person. So creating, creating a, a philosophy that's kind of grounded in kind of lessons learned in a decade of combat is really kind of important. And, you know, why should you listen to a guy who, you know, hasn't been successful in a whole bunch of things, but was okay at this one thing? Well, it's because he has a perspective that, unfortunately, or fortunately, very few people have. And I think that's kind of why we, we started off with that chapter of just, look, here's a perspective that you just don't usually get. And unfortunately, and, and you know this as well as I do, in a lot of the, um, the other books out there, um, and I, I would say that, you know, the guys like Mark Devine are an exception, but most of the guys who are, who are from my background, they, they don't put a philosophical stand on it. They, there's a little bit of chest beating and a little bit of bravado because that's what people traditionally want to read. I, I don't fault them for that, but that's why, um, that's why I like Mark's books, in my mind, are so important is because it's it's such a different tact on on uh, what people are used to. Yeah, so it's it's uh, less about stories, although they play an important part. It's more about how one shows up in the world, how one sees the world, how one can operate within the world in a healthier way. I mean, yeah. you're is what I'm taking from what I'm hearing you say. Um, you know, you, as I mentioned, your book is divided into four parts, and, and I'm actually going to try my Latin, but uh, correct me because I know you're going to have to. And if it's okay with you, we'll just start with book one, Cogitare Aliter. Yeah, close enough. I, ah. you know, I got to be honest with you, mine's not that awesome either. So um, <laughs> I think to get it right, we'd have to, we'd have to make sure Alice knew what it was. So uh, Let's have <laughs> Alice listen to this and correct me. <laughs> Send me back to school. In, in, translated in English, it means think differently. Yes. And uh, you lay out uh, quite a few handfuls of things, compare and contrast, you know, what, how one thing is compared to another thing. And I, if it's okay with you, what I like to do is just pick a few and yeah. talk through, kind of as a tease, because we obviously want people to read the book. Um, you, you make a distinction between discipline versus obedience, as an example. Talk to us a little bit about discipline versus obedience. That, that's one of my favorite ones. That, that's one of my favorite ones, because I think it's probably the most misunderstood and the one that gets confused the most. Um, you know, I, I usually, when I talk about this, I, I ask folks, you know, I, I spent all this time in the military. Um, and when, back when I came in, it was black boots and you had to start your uniform and you had to get a fresh haircut every day or every week. And, you know, I used to spit shine my boots and get my, you know, I had creases and the spray on starch every day was a new starch. And, you know, I had the, had the, you know, high and tight every week. And I asked people, did I do that because I was disciplined or did I do that because I was obedient? And everybody thinks I did it because I was disciplined. Mm. And that's not it. I did it because I didn't want to get in trouble. 
Mm. I did that because I didn't want to get yelled at for not having shine boots. I didn't want to get yelled at for not having a creased uniform. I didn't want to get yelled at for not having a fresh haircut. I did it because those were the rules. And if you didn't follow the rules, there were repercussions. Because I don't speed or I slow down when I see a cop doesn't mean I'm disciplined. It means I need to be obedient so I don't get in trouble. And, and in obedience, it's about what are the consequences? It's about fear for the consequence. When I went to combat after a couple of trips, I realized that, you know, I could be out on a long mission, um, you know, whether it was with the regiment or with AWG and you know they had rules even over in afghanistan and iraq it wasn't long before we said look you gotta they have to be clean when they go to the chow hall and you have to be clean shaven and this is the uniform and um you know but the truth is you know we'd come back and the first thing we do is we clean our weapons and then we clean our kit and then we would go get chow we would be dirty we would be unshaven we would be but that was the next thing you know we we took care of our equipment now we had to take care of our bodies and then you get cleaned up and rest. Um, and did we get yelled at sometimes? We did, because there's always somebody who sits on the, on the Ford operating base who, you know, wants to kick you out of the chow hall because you're not clean enough. Um, and in my mind, it's dis- the difference between obedience and discipline is discipline's about doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason, regardless of the consequence. Okay. So you're going to get a consequence that may be negative to you. But if you believe it's the right thing to do, you have a responsibility. To, that's discipline is doing it. Even in the face of, I might get in trouble, but this is the right thing to do. Um, obedience is just doing what you're told to do and doing what you're supposed to do. So when I hear you saying uh, discipline is internally driven, obedience would be externally driven. Absolutely. So if I decided, boy, the right way to look like a soldier is to be spit shine and, and, uh, and, and starched, well, that would be my decision. And if, if that wasn't the rule, then that would, that could be discipline. Um, but, but discipline is making sure that, you know, to your understanding, you're doing what's, what's correct, even if the world doesn't think it's correct. So it's not just subjective necessarily. You you could be utilizing some kind of transcendent or uh, moral system, which Absolutely. towards a disciple of a practice towards something, but it might not go with the cultural uh, manifest, you know, the cultural uh, norm. Exactly. I, I tell a story in my first book about um, Connie Cronholm, who was a young Marine lieutenant in the fifties, and he gets on a train. Um, and uh, an older black woman gets on, and he stands up. He's in uniform, and he stands up, and he lets this woman sit down. And the conductor comes by and yells at him because she wasn't allowed to sit in that car, and when there were white passengers, she wasn't allowed to sit down. And he said, nope, she's got to get up, and you've got to sit down. Well, that was the law, and that was the rule. And Connie said, nope, she's going to stay there, and a bunch of his Marines kind of stood up to the conductor, conductor backed off but there's a perfect example of hey that was at the time he was breaking the law Mm. he was doing something that was illegal but he believed it to be right so he did it that's discipline nice okay excellent uh another one that i want to ask you about is uh situational awareness versus uh, (laughs) situational understanding 
Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite chapters, and I'm going to tell you that the, the, the story that um, is written in there, it was all Alice's idea, and it was a terrific example. It was, it was much better than kind of the story that I had initially thought she uses, you know, Clint Eastwood, and anything that uses Clint Eastwood is awesome. Um, but I think that, um, you know, we, we tell people that we want them to have situational awareness. And it's really not, it's, it's kind of a misnomer. It's not really, situational awareness is knowing what's going on around you. And if you don't have a plan, you can know everything that's going on around you and it doesn't matter, right? So let's take an example that's not as sexy as what's in the book, but let's take one that's really, I think a lot of people can, um, can relate to. Have anybody who's ever been in a car with a brand new driver, a young person, um, and that driver is probably more situationally aware of what's going on than any driver around. But we are nine times out of 10 extremely terrified because they will literally watch somebody back up into their car because they don't know what to do, okay. right? Okay. So they're situationally aware, but, they, but situational understanding is knowing what's going on around you and knowing what it means, okay. right? So, hey, that car's backing up. Let me look behind me. Do I have a car behind me? So I, if I need to back up, I can. Hey, can I pull forward and go to the right? What's to my right? What's to my left? And can I pull there? So having a plan, right? Tony Blauer, who we talk about it, you know, who's the, the founder of Spear, who's, you know, another one of kind of my mentors and a, and a great friend. Um, you know, he talks about this and, and he talks about it in, uh, I think it's either in Get Shorty or there's a, there's a scene on an elevator where a guy goes through a bunch of different um, fights in his head. Guy gets on an elevator and he, he goes through a bunch of fight sequences in his head and gets his butt kicked until he figures out the right one. None of those has happened. And then when the guy goes to hit him, he's able, to, he has a plan against it, right? That's situational understanding. Hey, I know two guys are in the elevator with me. One's in front of me, one's behind me. That's being situationally aware. And if you don't have a plan, I'm not sure what that what good that does for you. Knowing what knowing what is going on is good. Knowing what it means is better. So uh, you'll be you'll be happy to know then that I did this correctly because actually I tasked uh, uh, four of my clients with an exercise uh -huh. called situational awareness, but I'm actually going to call it situational understanding because it was both being aware and then creating a plan. So for 72 hours, I, I it was a counter surveillance exercise. Just yeah. You know, developing awareness around themselves so you'll be happy i'll change my language but i did it properly <laughs> yeah so that's and it's and it's really cool and i'll tell you i don't know if you've ever heard of uh mick nicholson general nicholson he was in charge of afghanistan um before um the current general um but we when we came into uh fbcb2 when we were using that that kind of um awareness system that digital kind of system when we started the strikers you know he was really the one who said look you can get a lot of situational awareness but now you've got to and that's great you'll know a lot of stuff that's going on in the battlefield but you've got to get situational understanding of so what what does all this mean mm -hmm. and then what's your plan against it and i think that's where we usually you know we tell 
athletes all the time, need you to be situationally aware. Well, if you're a safety and you know this receiver's running underneath you, you can sit there and know that. But unless you know, okay, I've got to jump that route, I'm not sure it does you any good. Right on. Um, great explanation of that. Let's switch to a third one that's of interest. All of them are interesting to me, but we'll just go a third one for book one. It's uh, transactional relationships versus transformational relationships. And I'd like, to talk, I'd like you to talk about this, not just specific to your book, but more broadly. Because I, you know, I do know that uh, you do a lot of work with professional uh, sports teams as well as other, other people that you consult with. And I'm curious how you take this idea and then utilize it in your consulting work that you do. You know, this is so important. This one's really important to me because I think the world is filled with transactional uh, relationships. It's a, it's a quid pro quo world. Um, what can you do for me? Uh, whether that's make me feel a certain way or, uh, you know, fill my pocket or what am I getting out of us? You know, and that's, that unfortunately is a direction that we seem to be going in in society. And certainly when I, you know, right now I'm consulting with a, with a company that has a sales force and they're very quick to say, look, people will leave us very quickly. And I'm like, if you have transactional relationships, they absolutely will, which is why the relationship needs to be transformational. And transformational is about not what I can get out of it, but what can I give you? How do I make your life better? How do I live for something greater than myself uh, in, in even the, the smallest walks of, of life? And I'll give you an example. And I'm not, this is what I believe. It doesn't mean I'm a great person. It means I just try to live what I believe. So I'm on the phone with somebody today and I went through a drive-thru. And uh, they, I was talking to them and I say, excuse me. And I addressed the person at the window. And I said, okay, hey, thank you very much. I hope you have a great day. Right. And I said it not like, God bless you. I said it, you know, I looked in the eye and I said, Hey, I really hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. And I drove up and they're like, you're so nice. I said, no, that's the way I want to be treated. I want, if I can make that person smile, then I've done something for that person. And that's a, that's good. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, to bring value into other people's lives as much as I can. And, I think that we've, we've continued to go down this road of, you know, what can this do for me? And I'm not going to be nice to somebody. And, and if they're not nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to them. And, and I mean, I'm not saying be a doormat, but, right, right, right. but, I, but I am saying, look, I, 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 sh- I don't think I should let anybody's behavior control mine. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's rude to me and I'm rude back, I have allowed their behavior to control my behavior. They have now controlled me. Um, I don't have to be rude just because they're rude. I, I can, I don't say kill them with kindness. I can be me and I want me to be a better person. And, and maybe that, maybe that changes their behavior, but I'm not looking for that. If that's my intent, then it's still, then it's still a transactional thing. If I'm trying to get, if I'm trying to manipulate their behavior with mine, then I'm really looking at quid pro quo, right? I'm, it's transactional. Transformational means I don't have anything to gain. I'm just doing it. Because I'm doing it, because that's who I want to be. I, I appreciate the point you made that if if you react to the how they re- react to you, they have control or power over you, and I think that's really really important. And the coaching that I do, and I have to imagine that you, this shows up for you too, 
it's teaching people to be responsive, not reactive, which is you know pretty high hill to climb because you know, we're all, most of us, or probably majority of us, you know, for, for various reasons are reactive at various Absolutely. levels for di different relationships with different people at various times, you know, but, you know, but uh, it's actually a really important skill to develop the more transformational approach and the less reactive, more responsive way to deal with other people. So I love that, that you brought that up. Well, and, and look, do I get right all the time? No, somebody cuts me off. I still might, uh, you know, react in a very negative way. Yeah. But what I, but I try to be thoughtful of it. And when I can, I, I really try to make sure that what can I bring to the fight? Well, it's also interesting too. One thing that strikes me is when you're saying this is like, we have no idea what's going on in that person's life. Absolutely. And they could have had the worst day ever. Like if you would have heard their story, you'd be like, Oh my God, I can see why you're, you're reacting that way. And, and to, to approach them the way you're suggesting to maybe put a smile on their face or just improve their life, even for a moment could be the biggest gift that they have that day or for that week or for that month for the full year. God knows. Absolutely. And, yeah. and to have that kind of empathy. Yeah. Cause that's really what you're talking about is, is abandon the story that's in your mind, the jerk, they're an ass, whatever. Cause they did this to me as opposed to they did this for a host of reasons. And the way I look at it is, you know what? I don't really want to sit and hand people food all day out of a window. That's a tough job, especially when it's hot and they're working in a kitchen. Man, that's got to be tough. Why would I not want to be nice to that person? Because that's a tough. That's a tough job. Nice. Good. Well, that's book one, and there's obviously other aspects to book one too, which I'm going to encourage folks to read in your new book. <laughs> Let's move to book two and tease folks with that. Uh, book two, and when I say book one, book two, book three, book four, this is one book. They're just books within the books, just so just we're clear on that. Book two, and hopefully uh, your co-author correct me because I know I'll butcher this. <laughs> Operate at essay, to have and to be. Yep. And you list a couple of qualities which are important to you in this philosophical treatise of yours. Now let's just talk about one or two of them. One is resilience. Yeah. And uh, you, you started this conversation by talking about parents or parenting styles, helicopter parenting, which I would think we both agree can lead to children growing up into adults to be less resilient. So talk about the importance of resilience. Oh, geez. You know, it's funny. You know, when we talk, uh, so my partner, Jim, Jim Stagnita and I, when we talk to, to parents groups um, at like college recruiting events or, or um, events where we're talking to athletes, you know, if we ask them how they became successful, they'll tell you because they failed a lot of times. Um, and we, you know, as a parent, I know how hard it is to see your kid fail or struggle or not, or, or even not even fail, but maybe not succeed to the level they wanted. They wanted an A, they got a B. They wanted to make the varsity team, they made the JV team, you know. Um, and it hurts us. And it hurts them for a period of time, but it makes them so much stronger. And this idea that it's about celebrating not just underwriting failure but celebrating failure okay and and i got that again you know i wish i had an original thought one of these days i will but um there's this great guy named um uh general becker who is uh he was in dc and i'm not sure where he's off to now 
But General Becker was in charge of Fort Jackson when I was a battalion commander at basic training. And we were having a battalion commander lunch and we we're talking about, you know, how do we make things better for the, for the soldiers? And I said, you know, we really got to underwrite mistakes a little bit. We keep expecting these guys not to make mistakes and they're new soldiers. And then they get afraid to try stuff and they won't, and they don't progress because they're afraid to try new stuff. They're afraid of getting in trouble. And, and, and Becker says, um, you know, JC, we got to do more than underwrite them. We got to celebrate their mistakes because it means they're trying something. And it really, once he said it, it was so, it was so clear to me, of course, that's what we have to do. And when we deal with whether we're coaches or teachers or parents or employers, you know, it's okay to bust somebody's chops and go, oh, I don't think you're going to screw that up more if you were like three people. But wow, that's awesome. So tell me what you learned of it. Because what we don't realize is failure is still a step forward. Right, I've just learned what not to do. Yep. That's a step. That's that's a step forward in our in our learning evolution. And um, when you see it with with children, you know, I see parents, you know, sixth graders, seventh graders, and a kid will do poorly on a test. I'm not even saying fail a test, but do poorly on a test, and they like lose their mind. And the first thing I know is Princeton ain't going to look at sixth and seventh grade and say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't do well on this sixth grade spelling test. <laughs> I'm sorry, you won't be able to attend here. Um, and, and what we can do is go, whoa, all right. Okay, so tell me, what did you do here? Now, if they say, hey, I didn't really study. Okay, great. Now let's talk about our studying habits. Or, hey, I thought I studied really hard. Well, let's talk about what it, 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 it opens up this conversation. Now take it a step further to something that, you know, is so, I know it's near and dear to your heart as well, which is, which is athletics and physical fitness. The only true place that we can truly, truly, truly allow kids to fail with zero consequence is on the sports field. They can fail all day long and they get nothing but lesson from that. Because we all know that we've learned more from the times we failed and the times we've lost than the times that we – look, I failed Algebra 2 and I had to take it in summer school. I suck at every single math, but I can do the crap out of Algebra 2. I know Algebra 2 – not that it has ever been used in my life, but if I ever had to, I could do it. Um, and I just think it's about, we've got to look at failure in a very different way. We've got to look at it as it's building us. It's creating a new us. It's creating a stronger us. And that's something to be celebrated. Yeah. You know, in talking about re resilience, you also, without using the terms, talk about two other things that are part of this chapter or this book, initiative and courage. You know, uh, and uh, what I heard you say is that, you know, people are afraid to take the initiative because they're afraid of failure. And it takes courage to take the initiative to to seek to succeed, fail to learn the lessons, and continue to moving forward. Um, so, since you've already touched on initiative and courage, <laughs> how about trust? Uh, this is this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I talk about it with every group, whether it's a whether it's a corporation or it's a sports team. Um, I ask people: is uh, is trust earned or is trust given? And 99% of the time, I hear earned, because that's what we've been told. 
And then I ask these people, the people who tell me that it's been earned, I say, okay, when was the last time you flew? What was your pilot's name? How old were they? Did they have family? Where did they get their training? Was it the military or in the civilian world? How many hours in that aircraft frame do they have? Um, have they ever had, you know, do they drink? You know, where did they graduate in their class? I mean, you know, and they go, well, I don't know any of that. They don't even know who flew them. They don't even know if it was a man or a woman. And I said, oh, so, so you trusted this person to go 30,000, 35,000 feet up in the air with your life, but you didn't know any of this about them, but they earned your trust by wearing a white shirt with epaulets or, you know, and they do the same thing about, you know, you go to the ER and you're bleeding. Do you stop the doctor and go, hold, 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 hold on, hold on. Where'd you go to medical school? Well, you didn't go to yeah. Harvard? I need the Harvard doc. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you, did, did, you know, how'd you do? And, you know, you know what they call the last guy who graduates medical school? Doctor. Oh. Okay. So, so where'd you, where'd you graduate in your class? You know, what was your specialty? Were you good at ER? Or is this, are you an intern? How long have you been practicing? You don't do any of that. You say, you're wearing scrubs. Take care of me. Yeah. Again, trust is given. And lastly, you get out on the highway every day with tens of thousands of strangers and you trust that they will follow the rules. And more importantly, you trust that the person that created the system had all the, all the, all the smarts in the world. You trust people that you've never even seen before. So if we're going to give trust to all these strangers, why would the people closest to us have to pass some imaginary bar in our head? It's very egocentric if you think about it. It's about us. Well, I'm not sure I can trust you. I'll trust all these strangers, you know, and, and, and on the simple level, right? How many people count their change? And how many people check to see if their food's been spat at? Right? I mean, if, if we're going to trust strangers, let's trust the people closest to us. So I think trust has to be given. And I mean, think about how great our world would be if we would just give trust, and, and this is what I say, because there's a lot of people are not comfortable with this. And I say, here's the one guarantee I'll make. You trust everybody, I promise, I promise it's gonna happen, somebody's gonna violate your trust. And the trick is, the difference between good leaders and great leaders, is good leaders create a policy or system to make sure that no one can violate their trust in that way again. Okay. Great leaders make sure that person can't violate their trust that way again. But another person could absolutely do it because I can't judge everybody's actions by one person's actions. And that's important. Yeah, that's a great segue to book three. Ducatus <laughs> <laughs> on leadership, and you've already started talking about leadership, so why don't I just throw out a couple of, things, a couple of the segment sections that are in there and get your, your feedback. Um, characteristics of a good leader. Look, I think it's I think it's simple. I mean, people make there'll be huge lists and there'll be tons of uh, discourse on what makes a great leader. I think there's four things that are essential. I think it's um, humility, okay. loyalty, curiosity, and empathy. Um, and and you know, if you can be a leader without those four things. I just don't think you're a good leader without those four things. Um, but I think if you have those four things alone. And no other things that a million people would tell you you have to have, you know, integrity and this and that. If you have those four things, I think you'll be a great leader. Who, who either in your life or in your study, lives up to those, at least those four characteristics of a good leader? The great news is um, 
almost every leader I worked for lives up to those. Um, you know, from my first battalion commander, a guy named Tom Snookus, um, Mike Ferreter, Stan McChrystal, Dan Allen, um, Mick Nicholson, all these guys, I just, you know, and the NCOs, right? Uh, Mike Hall, Greg Birch, Ray Devins. I mean, they're the guys that taught me. I mean, they had all four of those. Uh, one of the things that I think we're, we're missing in, in our leadership at a national level, and I don't care what side of the fence you're on, you have a hard time finding people uh, in politics today that have any one of those four, let alone all of those four. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's an unfortunate piece, but I, I really think that there, there's so many guys and girls who, who had it um, that I got to, that I got to watch and, and be part of. And, you know, I, I think even of Chris Greca, um, just, just guys who I, I got to watch on a daily basis, either from, from being next to them or, or working for them and saying, Holy cow, man, that's, that's what right looks like. And they had, look, they, each of them had their own little foibles, but they had those four things down pat. Do, are those taught people born with those capacities? Like where do you think they come from? You know, that's a, that's a great question. One of the things about, you know, when I was, when I was coming up with this list, the one thing that I realized is all four of those things are taught. They have to be taught to you, right? Empathy is taught. You might have a little proclivity to be empathetic, but you have to learn how to be empathetic. Curiosity, we're all born with it, but to truly be curious, you have to be taught. Uh, loyalty is absolutely taught. Um, and humility is, not only does it have to be taught, but it has to be reinforced on a regular basis. So the good news is, um, they're all taught, and they can be taught as, as a young person, they can be taught as, as an adolescent, they can be taught as an adult. And that, the, that why that's good news is that means anybody can be a great leader. You can be taught to be a great leader. It's not some sort of, you need to be an extrovert, you need to be an introvert, you need to be a, no, all those four things, that's not, that's not in your DNA. Those are all taught. Mm. And that means we can teach anybody to be a great leader. And maybe some people it comes easier than others. Um, but I, I think, you know, humility for one, uh, is, is one that, that I've always struggled with. And it's not because it's a, Hey, look at me kind of humility. It's not the Christian Judeo kind of idea of humility. It's the idea that just because I think it needs to be done this way, if you think it needs to be done another way and we still get to the same point, yeah, we'll, let's do it your way. That's the humility. I'm not talking about the aw shucks. I'm not good at that. No, it's the hey, let's go your way and being okay with that and being totally comfortable, making it about somebody else's plan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think that, you know, it, it's something that we can always work on and it's something that can be taught. And, you know, I, it, it's just, it gives me hope that we, can, that we can really create great leaders. One of the challenges I see with your definition of humility, not the Judeo-Christian one, mm -hmm. um, is and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, kind of the reactive mind. Um, how do you teach people to loosen up on their grip on how they think things should be? Because people will fight to the death, literally, and sometimes figuratively, to holding on to their vision of the world. How do you teach people to loosen up on that 
and take in other people's perspectives and recognize that that perspective could take it, that perspective with a, a, a plan could take us to the same place where my perspective with my plan could take us. I mean, that's, it's not an easy place to get to for a lot of people. It's really, it's really hard. And um, some of the best stuff I've, I've read about this is from a guy named Barry Jentz. Jentz? Uh, Jentz, J-E-N-T-Z. He wrote a book called uh, Talk Sense, S-E-N-C. Uh, he, um, he is, uh, he teaches uh, kind of balcony conversations at Harvard. Um, and absolutely just, uh, you know, one of the few geniuses I've probably ever met. And, you know, he says that people operate in, in three boxes, basically, as, as a generalization. The truth, my truth, and my sense of the truth. Have you ever heard this? I have not. This is interesting. It's pretty cool. So the truth is um, you have two pitchers of water, a right pitcher and a wrong pitcher, a yes pitcher and a no pitcher, right? It's either right or it's wrong. It's yes or it's no. This is the way it is. Uh, I always use, I got to come up with a different example, but I always use people that um, are devout in their religion and say, this is it. There is no other religion. This is the only thing. This is what's right. Then there's my truth. And my truth is, here's my yes pitcher and here's my no pitcher, or here's my right pitcher and here's my wrong pitcher. I know there's other pitchers out there. There's other pitchers of water out there. and that's fine for those people, but this is kind of, this is really, this is mine because this is, this is what's really right. Right. So again, I might look at this as uh, certain religious sects that maybe say, well, homosexuality, you know, I know it's out there. I know people do it. It's wrong, but it, you know, I know it's out there. Well, that that's, you know, over here, these, the truth people, Oh, it's evil. It's wrong. It shouldn't exist. These people go, and eh, no, it's out there. It's just, it's just not right. My two pictures. And then there's my sense of the truth. And my sense of the truth says, these are my two pictures. But I know there's an infinite number of pictures out there. And they might have something that I don't know in them. And I might change my picture for that picture. And I go, oh, I didn't know that. Let me grab that one. That's a better picture for me. And it's funny because 90% of the time we exist in the truth or my truth, right? The guy who cuts you off is an idiot. You know, the woman that cheats on you, you know, she's a bad person. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of, of truths in our mind. Um, but leaders need to learn to get into my sense of the truth. Of Okay, I think it's this way, but hold on. Maybe there's information I don't know. Maybe I only have, maybe there's something this person knows that I never thought of. So I've got to suspend my own beliefs for a second. And it ties into this other piece, which is, you know, and I'm sure you talk about unconscious bias with some of your clients. And we've been led to believe that unconscious bias is like a horrible thing. And I don't think it is. It's kept us alive for a long time. It's kept humans surviving. What's bad is if we, if we go with it, right? But so that initial reaction of, ooh, this doesn't look right. I'm not sure I like this. This is kind of wrong. And then being able to take that from our lizard brain, that, that's a good thing. It said, oh, something's up here. And then put it into our prefrontal cortex and say, 
okay, let me think about this. What don't I know? Is this really something to be afraid of? Is it something that maybe I should listen to somebody else on? And so those two things together, getting to the, oh, I know they're wrong. Wait a second. I'm saying that because that's my lizard brain talking. Let me, let me bring it up here and go, hmm, what don't I know? There might be something I don't know. And we have to be thoughtful about that, right? So I'm probably not talking to a 13-year-old yeah. about, you know, what it's like in Afghanistan based on his opinion and go, huh, I wonder if this 13-year-old knows something I don't. I'm not, probably not going to do that. It's, that's just not, you know, maybe if I got nothing else to do. Um, but nine times out of 10, if I'm in a work environment and if I'm in a team environment, I'm going to go, I really believe it's this way. Everything's telling me it's this way, but maybe I missed something. And that's that humility piece that we just got to, you know, we've got to recognize when we start, you know, kind of planting stakes in the ground and go, all right, I'm doing it. Let me see. Let me hold off. Maybe this isn't the right thing to plant stakes on. I think you'll appreciate this in our program. I have to look up. I'm very interested in his, in, in uh, Benny's work. But we talk about perspective taking and that, you know, any one person has a limited but partial truth because we're not God or gods. You know, we, we, can, yep. we just don't know everything. And we have a particular perspective. And through meditation, you develop the witness. You can start seeing your own perspectives, create some distance between you and your perspective. You can start playing around with it. And create the space in your own body mind to hear other people's perspectives as well and it's a, it's a it's a really important part of leadership as you're suggesting especially in our globalized multicultural world if you can't suspend your you, you can't loosen up your grip on how you think reality is you're not gonna be able to relate to other people you're not gonna be able to lead them you're not gonna be able to understand them to lead them or be led by them if you're in a subordinate position so it's wonderful that you've included that in your in your book well, and I, I get to talk about those. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with law enforcement a bunch of times um, to talk about, look, having empathy for, for the people that you're, the community that you're serving and, and having humility. You know, just because you have a badge and a gun, you really got to think about what it's like for that 14-year-old kid who's got to pass some really bad actors uh, every day. And, oh, by the way, it might make his life a little bit easier if he deals in a positive way with those bad actors. And maybe you can think about that before you, you know, harass a 14-year-old kid, regardless of, of race, religion, color, creed. Just have some empathy of, the, of, of what somebody else is going through. Right on. Yeah, yeah. No, I love the fact that empathy is such an important part of your, your work. Um, <clears throat> and it's definitely missing in our world. And I think uh, yeah. we tend to be quite much more narcissistic and less empathetic of other people around us. Um, let me, let's switch to um, book four, and I'm definitely not gonna try to pronounce the Latin, it's elite. <laughs> so people listening or watching go, oh, I know what elite in Latin is. Um, two things that I want you to talk about. First one is earn it every day. Why is that important? So I think we, a lot of times we get to a, a, a place where we feel like, okay, this is, I, I've reached the pinnacle. And I see this with CEOs, right? Um, they get to the pinnacle and then they operate steady, they stagnate. They stay where they are because if, I, if we screw up, I, I, I might lose this great comfort, this great 
ability that I have, right? So this comes from kind of a, a really neat story about um, General McChrystal. We, we, were, we were not doing so well uh, in Iraq for a little while. We were, we were hitting a lot of um, dry holes, right? So we were trying to get a target, and we hit the target, and the person we were looking for wasn't there. And um, it was it was a it was a joint task force with uh, with with great sailors, great airmen, you know, um, and and other great army brethren. Um, and so McChrystal brought us in, and this is actually part of another chapter called uh, "The Best Versus the Best Available." Um, but he brought us in, and he and McChrystal said, "Hey guys." you're not the best, you're the best available. And as much as we think that that's about kind of putting us in our place, like you're not, you're not as great as you think you are, that was not his intent at all because he was talking to the best warriors in the United States military. What he did was he gave us the freedom to fail. He gave us the freedom to try new stuff, to continue to earn our right to be there to look at the guys right and left and not worry about making a mistake, but to continue to prove that we belong there. Not by doing the same thing over and over, but by, but by innovating and failing and, and trying something and learning from that and then moving forward. And, and this, this idea of being, um, you know, part of something is about making it better, you know, making it better every time you touch it. And not just being happy, you know, my, my, uh, my daughter played uh, college lacrosse. My son plays college football. My youngest son, you know, he's still, he's still uh, and he just started in high school. But they, we've always talked, and they've always talked about, I don't want to just be on the team. I want to be on a team that wants to win, that wants to win a national championship. That's what I want to be a part of. I want everybody who's not just there going through the motions, but they're there to make the team better, to make everyone around them better. And they're earning their right to be there every day. And I think we can look at that as a negative because like, hey, what have you done to earn your right to be here today? I don't think it's about anybody else asking you that. I think it's about you asking yourself that. Have I earned my right to be there? Because your best and my best aren't going to look the same. But as long as you're, you know you're giving your best, then you've earned your right to be there. It's not for me to question that you have. It's for you to question, have I earned my right to be here? Have I made those around me better? Have I made my organization better? And I just think that's such a staple in special operations. You know, it, listening to you talk is fascinating because I see how all the different books are interconnected and, and they build the different qualities build upon each other to create a kind of integrated whole of how one should proceed in their life. Um, very much appreciated. Just want people to take a look at the book and encourage them to definitely pick it up. Now, how can people find your book? How can people find about your work? I know you're on social media. How can people find you there as well? Well, I've actually, I, I took a little break from social media. My son and I, uh, we thought it was, it was depressing. You know, I read Twitter and I get very depressed. Um, but I just recently got back on because exciting announcement. My book has been available on Amazon now since uh, January. Um, but now, um, there will be its own site. I'm going to be putting out an advertisement, uh, within the next today or tomorrow, 
we have a new publisher, Hatteras Publishing, printing, um, where you can get the book uh, through them. You can order it direct from uh, both books, actually, Light in the Darkness and now this Meditations of an Army Ranger. So Sarah New is the co-author of the first book and uh, Alice, the co-author of the second book. But we have this website now where you can uh, actually contact any one of us uh, and you'll be able to order the book direct. So you don't, if you're not an Amazon person, uh, you, you don't have to get it on Amazon. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and Twitter, uh, usually in some form of JC Glick. Um, and I really like to hear from people who have questions. Um, I always have time for somebody who's who's kind of interested in talking about this stuff. As you can tell, I, I tend to get a little bit verbose when it comes to this stuff, but I get excited about this because, because I just think we need to talk about this more in, in today's society because if you read Twitter, um, if you listen to the news, um, you would think that we're going in an absolutely horrible direction. Again, regardless on which side you're on, if you're, if you're way to the left, you think we're going way too far to the right. If you're way on the right, you think we're going way too far to the left. And I believe that most of us are pretty much in the center. And if we focus on making sure other people's lives are better, I think we can do a pretty good job. Um, and I think most people want to, I, I think everybody kind of wakes up thinking I'm a good person. I don't think people think they're bad. So I really like these. So if, if anybody wants to get a hold of me and just to talk, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. And it's important for folks to know you're not just an author, you're a consultant. So if people also want to hire you to come into their corporations or work with their sports teams. They can also contact you the same way. A absolutely. So it's uh, so our, our business site is MVP development group. Uh, dot com and um, there's contact us on there but you can either reach me or Jim Stagnita um, who's a you know a 30-year professional uh, and collegiate uh, lacrosse coach who is absolutely you know just so talented at, at, at what he does and, and bringing and understanding how teams work together and I think you know having that military background and having sports background and combining it together has been a lot of fun for us awesome well, JC, it's been it's a great conversation. Let me definitely encourage folks to check out your book. Well, and and thank you. It's been an honor. I mean, I'm I'm just one. I'm humbled to be on this, and and I'm humbled to be your friend. So, thank you so much. Damn, great to see you. And uh, definitely encourage folks to check out the book. And if they're looking to hire you, to go to those two different websites if they want to talk to you, ask questions about the book, either one of the books, they can do so on your personal website. If they want to hire as a corporate or, or sports consultant, they can go to your professional website. And we'll make sure to have all that in the show notes to make it easier for folks to click. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Hey, thanks very much. Bye, buddy. Take care.